Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Lakeview Baptist Church here for our Wednesday night uh, prayer and devotional service. Uh, before we get it started, I, I would like to just ask if we could uh, together uh, bow in, in a word of prayer as we ask for the Lord's assistance in the worship we intend to give tonight. Father God, our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, your, your majesty, it overwhelms us. Your, your glory, it amazes us. Lord, let us be humbled as we understand and as we realize what small creatures we are compared to you. Lord, let us rejoice in your loving kindness. Let us rejoice in your steadfast faithfulness your love, your mercy, and the grace that you've shown to every one of us here tonight. Dear Lord, I ask for your assistance as we uh, go into your word for the uh, message tonight. Dear Lord, I just pray that your grace would be upon it. I pray that the Spirit would work both in the preacher and in the hearers for their edification and for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We are going to be looking at really uh, a major set or a significant section, and I don't mean significant in size, I mean significant in its importance and its relevance in First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, so you can get your Bibles uh, ready and open up there, but b- before I really focus in on that, I, I want to start off by ex- explaining sort of what my intention is in this message tonight. As you can see, if, if you are here, uh, Val has so wonderfully got these festive lights going on uh, for, the, for Christmas season. We have a, a beautiful tree and, and, and a manger scene, and obviously uh, this Sunday is Christmas Eve, and the day after that's Christmas. And so you may be anticipating a sort of Christmas message, and that's what I've prepared for you, but, it's, but it might not be what you expect. Um, you know, just recently, it was on, on a Sunday night, and, and if you were not there, you can find it online on our, on our website, I, just looking at some of the wonderful uh, prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah, the, the virgin that would conceive, the son that would be given to us, and, and and what a glorious and what a wonderful thing to celebrate that our Savior, our God, has come in the form of a man to redeem his people, to establish his kingdom uh, from that time forward and until everlasting. And, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And that's why we celebrate it every single year. Uh, so many of us look forward to the Christmas holiday. And at the same time, there is a significant number of us that, and, and I don't know if this would resonate with anyone that's in here, but the holidays for some are not necessarily something that are to be looked forward to with much anticipation. Uh, there are some people to whom that this season is a time of, of dread uh, and, and anxiety. As a matter of fact, they, they tell me that uh, the vast majority of uh, suicides and cases of depression take place around this time of year. 
And, it, and it's a recurring thing because we celebrate every year. And, 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 and what it also does is it speaks to the truth of the passing of time. The passing of time. Each moment that you have spent in this room tonight is one moment that you will not get back. It is one minute, moment further away from your birth, one moment closer to your death. And that's not something that is shocking when I say it to you because you already know that. As a matter of fact, for much of us who are in this room tonight, we are expecting to celebrate the Christmas holiday without someone whom we used to celebrate it with every year. Uh, time. It just keeps going, and it just keeps going, and that increases this anxiety that is felt, that increases this depression and, and the sadness and the sorrow, and this is something that I, I know I've talked about before in, in other uh, texts and in other contexts, but it's really something that I think needs to be spoken to, and, and the glorious thing as a Christian minister and as a Christian preacher is that I can actually give you and I can actually tell you what the solution to all anxiety and depression is. His name is Jesus Christ, the one whom we are celebrating. And I want to talk really, I guess, how it is that the gospel of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, can take those things away. Why? Because Christ makes life meaningful. There, he is the one in whom all things hold together. There, there is no meaning outside of Him. And, 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 I th- and I'm going to look at two different places in Scripture that really, really speak to that. Uh, the first place, I know I had you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 because I'm just going to be looking here, reading to you a parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 12 and we're just going to briefly look at this. This is Jesus' parable, uh, sometimes it's called the parable of the rich fool, and, and it starts off in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, the him there is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now there's something there that we need to talk about because we will glance over it so easy. Jesus gives a rebuke here to someone, but it's, it's not the person who is refusing to divide the inheritance, to give away money. Someone comes to Jesus and is complaining that their brother is not giving this inheritance, giving this money or, or these possessions to him. And, and, and he says, says, teacher, tell him, this is what I owe, this is what I deserve. And Jesus looks at him and, and he says, man, why, why, why do you think I am in this position? And then he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. You see, usually when this parable is addressed, we focus on the, the, the rich guy with all the money who is selfish and won't give it away. And of course, that, that is something that, that is addressed and that, that is a, a sin to use your money in an unlawful manner. But the very first person that Jesus gives a rebuke to is the one who is covetous 
You see, we talk about uh, the love of money being the root of evil. And sometimes that is seen in, in the rich and, and in the extravagant in the way that they flaunt and are very, very proud of their wealth. But I tell you, there are many, many sinners who their poverty or their lack of money is, their, is the thing that drives them to such sin, to this covetousness. And so Jesus looks at the man who is so consumed with his love for money and his desire for wealth, even though he does not have it himself, and he says, life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus tells him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And this rich man who, whose land produced plentifully thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We're talking about someone who has everything he could ever wanted. He actually had the, the goods and he actually had the riches that the, the covetous man in his sin desires. And, and, and so he, he is so very satisfied with his many possessions. He has this sublime and this serene uh, state of mind. He, and he was not going to let those old troubles of the world bother him anymore because his land had finally produced this great and this abundant crop. And, and he, he made it. He didn't have anything else he had to worry about. And that night, what does he do? Well, he lies his head upon his, his pillow, thinking of his many possessions or the many more that he was going to acquire, the many and the wondrous sights that he was going to see, the many pleasures he intended to experience in his body, and it could not have been more grand. And he lies down to sleep, and he never wakes up. Because God said to him in verse 20, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus makes the application in the next verse. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what does that have to do with anything we were talking about before? We'll think about it. It is one's priorities in life that, that will determine the outcome that he sees, the, the fruit that his life bears, and ultimately his eternal destiny. You see, we, we talk a lot about, about freedom uh, here in this country, and the reality is all of us are enslaved. What are we enslaved to? We are enslaved to our wills. We are enslaved to our desires. And if your desires are set on evil, you will be enslaved to evil. And if your desires are set on good, you will be enslaved to good. Now, thinking about that same principle in another context, if your desires are set on the things of this world rather than the things of the kingdom of God, you will be enslaved to this world. And there is no hope. In that 
that state of mind. And because, because think about it. If, if all of there is to life is just the life that we live down here on earth, there, there is no, there's no meaning in that. There, there is no fulfillment in that. And so what do you do? You have to look to your possessions or you have to look to your experiences. You have to say like the rich man did, well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Why? Well, that's all you have. You, you, don't, you don't have anything else. And, and so, but then we look at this story of this, this rich man who he has everything that we want and he loses it all. And it resonates with us because we, we understand that that's going to be our fate. Uh, that, this, you know, it's going somewhere. We talked about the passing of time. This Christmas season, I will be celebrating without people that I once did celebrate with. And there will be a day, should the Lord tarry, where people who now are celebrating with me will celebrate without me. We know this to be true. And so human beings, we are in this unique place where we have intelligence and we have personality and we have these things that because we are made in the image of God that that separate us from the animals and yet we know it's all going to come to an end. And it's like we live, we, we, we live our lives every single day with that knowledge. And this knowledge, it brings us, sometimes it brings us fear, it brings us sadness. The fear and the sadness enslave us. And then we do everything in our power to pretend like we are free even though we are enslaved to the things of this world. And what is interesting, it seems like this depression and this anxiety is common to all kinds of people, rich or poor. Uh, everyone feels at times like everything is falling apart. And so you see, what most people do to combat this, because the Bible says that man is enslaved to the fear of death all the days of his lives, what we try to do is we try to pretend as though we are not enslaved. Uh, we see something like this in, in the ministry of Jesus Christ when he talks about the necessity of being free. And he says, the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the Jews say to Jesus, we are the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to everyone. They did not understand that they were in spiritual bondage. Why? Because all of our lives long, we try to deny this. We try to deny it, uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That is the philosophy by which most people live their lives. Let me just fill up my mouth, fill up my lungs, fill up my body with as much pleasure as possible because this body of mine and this life that I live is the only thing that I will ever have and time is running out. So it's like how much money can I make? How many things can I buy? How many vacations can I go on? How much can I eat? How much can I drink? How much pleasure can I experience before it all goes away? And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen men and you've seen women and you've seen people you love on their deathbeds. 
knowing full well that all those things that they loved so much they'll never experience again, ever. Uh, you, you know, you're never getting out of that bed. Uh, you're not, you're not going to get up and, and dance again. You're not, you're not going to, to, t- to touch someone you love. You, you don't have the energy to laugh. The food that they're serving you is, is horrible. Someone else has to take care of your basic functions and you're like losing your, your dignity. And at some point, what are you going to do? Well, you'll, you'll throw in the towel. You'll give up and say it's all over. You enter into that fateful, eternal slumber of death while time just marches on and forgets about you. You become a memory. You become a picture that is hung up upon a wall that just gets dusty, old, and gray till eventually it's like, where, where are we going to hang this? We don't, we don't even know who this person is. And this is just kind of weird to look at. So you, the frame gets taken down, put in a box, stuffed away in an attic, and the world just moves on and other people are going to live and other people are going to to experience life and, and, to, and to laugh and, and, and to love others and do all these things and you're not going to be a part of it. It's like a drop in the bucket, nothing more. Sayonara, turn out the lights and good night. And now you know that everything that I have just described to you is 100% true. You've always known this. No one had to explain it to you. It's, it's written on your heart. I'm not just making this up. I'm not some prophet with some new revelation. I'm just saying things to you that I've always known, you've always known, your parents have always known, your grandparents have always known, all of your ancestors, they've all known this. This is common to all human experience. So what are you going to do? Some, you know, that may be watching online, they've already gotten angry with me, They've, they've turned it off, they've... They've gone back to their lives where they're just going to stuff themselves up with as much as they can to try and stifle the fact that in this world alone there is no meaning. There is no hope. But there will be moments when they, you know, when the TV's turned off, when the music's down, when they put the phone away, when actually do this crazy thing where they sit there and just think where these thoughts will come creeping back in. Some people, when they realize this, they do the logical, rational thing. And that is to become depressed. That is to become so utterly hopeless in their suffering. And we've heard many tales of stories about those who decide that enough's enough, let's just get it over with and take their own lives. Because think about this, if the atheists, if the materialists, if the evolutionists are right, and this life and, and matter and molecules is all that there is, that would make you know, personal pleasure, the amount of dopamine in your brain, the highest level of good, and every single moment that you are less than perfectly pleased would just be dreadful because you only have so many of these moments and, it's, and it never lives up to your desires. It never lives up. I wish to tell you that it does not have to be that way. You see... So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That would be the only sound, that would be the only logical philosophy of life 
If, in fact, all there was to life was this life, and we are just the random results of an evolutionary process and hopeless and meaningless universe that doesn't care about you. And now some of you may, may be thinking, well, isn't that true? Like, isn't that what all the smart people say? Isn't that what the rich and, and the famous say? Well, it's, you know, everyone's lying to you. And you need to realize that, for unless you do, your fate will be the same as theirs. Now, I want to look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because we do not, as Christians, labor as those who have no hope. And that's what I, what, what, I want you to see the beauty of your Christian faith in this thing. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. What's, what's the context? What's going on in this passage? Well, what Paul's doing here is he is setting forth his great apologetic for the resurrection. He is making a defense for the, the resurrection, a central core doctrine of the Christian faith, both the resurrection of Christ, which happened in history, and the future resurrection of all people, either unto eternal life or eternal punishment. In the church that Paul's writing to, there were uh, people who were denying that this was true. And, and so Paul's response to this, he said, listen, what, what is the key thing? What is the main thing that we and the other apostles have been proclaiming to? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and so he, he, he uses the resurrection of Christ as irrefutable proof and evidence that all men will one day rise again. And Jesus said there is coming a day when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who have done good to the resurrection of life will be raised up unto life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment will be raised unto judgment. So in, 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 so in 1 Corinthians 15, he's just talking about the great work of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did when he came to this world to die for the sins of his people, to be buried, to rise again on the third day. And, and there would be so much in there that we want to look at, but where I want to focus in on is verses 32 to 34, where I think he takes this truth and he just makes this incredibly practical application. In verse 32, Paul says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So he raises up this, this idea of fighting beasts at Ephesus. What he does there is he, he just wants to get the people to think about the many things that he and others have suffered for the sake of the gospel. His, his point is, is, what he's saying is, what do I gain if in doing all this, in doing all this suffering and all this hard work, what's the point of it all if there is no eternal life, if there is no resurrection? If, if I'm just going to die and my body is just going to go into the ground and they throw dirt on me and that's it, what are we, what are we doing all this for? What's the, what's, what's the point of it all? It, it would all just, life would just be completely meaningless. If the reality of the resurrection, if the reality of eternal life were not so, there would be no meaning, there would be no hope, there would be no point in anything. 
That's when he quotes the old proverb, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And what a sad state it is that so many people live in. All that they have is here. And, and Jesus, he, I mean, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You must lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which are fixed for you, which are kept secure for you by the love of God. But if, if, if that's all fairy tale, if that's all myth, if there is no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised and we're still in our sins and all, all is in vain, there would be no, no hope at all. So what would you do? Well, the only sound, the only logical, rational conclusion to come to would be, well, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But have we not already seen what a miserable philosophy that is? There's no satisfaction in that because there's never enough. There's no fulfillment. You're not, you're not building towards something. There, there's nothing eternal to that. It's, it's, it's all vanity. It's, it's just chasing after wind. And because of the fact that this is, is how most of the people in our day and in our culture live their lives with this philosophy of, well, let me just gain as much money as I can, have as much pleasure as I can, whatever, that's why there's so much depression. That's why there's so much anxiety. Because there's, there, it's, it, it's never going to work for you. It, it's meaningless and it's hopeless. It's, it's a dead end street. And that's why you have the, this, all of this craziness and all this sadness in people's hearts. But then what do people do? It's like, okay, I know it's all going nowhere. I know it has no meaning. I know it's just vanity. So what do we do? We deny it. We pretend as though it's just all right. Like, let's just keep the good times rolling. Let's put some entertainment on or some. Let's do something to distract us so we don't have to think about anything that is meaningful. And some people in the judgment of God stay their whole lives in this state. God will sometimes please himself in hardening a sinner's heart by turning them over to their passions. You see, when I read the parable of the rich fool, when he got what he wanted, when he had the, the bountiful harvest, that was God's judgment. Something to think about. And people become so enthralled, become so enthused with this world and everything that it has to offer, and what, what's going to happen eventually is slowly... They're going to lose their grip. Their health will begin to decline, become lonelier, sadder, weaker, realizing that it's all just going away. But because of how cold and how calloused their hearts have become, they stay trapped in this miserable, trapped in this pitiable state until eventually the last breath is drawn and it's a judgment their soul goes. For others, however, it is not a slow process at all, but it happens in an instant. One minute, enraptured in their excess and in their happiness. One minute, it's all gone. Uh, car accidents, freak incidents, and other such 
tragedies coming upon them when it is least expected. Recently in the news, there was a lot of news, a lot of buzz surrounding a story of, of, of a submarine that was submerged, was missing for multiple days, till eventually they realized it had imploded. And what the experts tell us is that this implosion happened so instantaneously that the people on board likely had no perception of what was happening. Just one second, focused on what they're doing, thinking about what they're going to tell their friends and family about the experience when they get back, and gone. Gone in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, dying with their smiles on their faces. And that is the reality that every single person lives in. Every single time, I, just, I want you to think about that. every single time you get into your car and you drive more than a mile and you arrive to your destination without something terrible happening to you, you should be amazed and you should thank God. You should thank God for His provision. Now, as weighty and as depressing as this all sounds, it would really only be depressing if my Christian faith was not true. It would really only be depressing if there was no resurrection of the dead. That's the argument that Paul is making here. You see, in Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world in the fulfillment of time to fulfill the Scriptures which spoke of Him, to do the will of His Father, to save His people from His sins, He came here as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. He lived a sinless life. He, he, he explained the Scriptures to people in, a, in, in ways that had been forgotten or had been abused. He goes to the cross. He dies for their sins. He is buried and He rises again. And all who trust in Him one day too will rise to eternal life where there will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. The resurrection of Jesus Christ takes away the sting of death. But we have to recognize something. And this is the message of hope that we as Christians have that the world does not have. All of those promises apply to people who have repented of their sins and have faith in Jesus Christ. The promise of the gospel is that all those who believe will not perish but have eternal life. And the judgment of the gospel is that the wrath of God abides upon those who do not believe. Therefore, we must all be admonished. Flee from sin, run as far away from sin as you can, and run to Jesus as fast as you can. For He is your only hope. Your sin will not satisfy you. We've, we've seen that. What, what did the love and greed of money, what, what, what did all of that bring to the, to the man who, who looked at his treasures and he just built bigger barns to store it all and then lost it in an instant? His sin did not do for him what he wanted it to do. You need Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. And in Him there is fulfillment. And in Him there is meaning. Paul says in verse 34, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul says, wake up from your drunken stupor. That's six words in English, but it's really just one Greek verb, eknepaste, which simply means to, to sober up, to, to come to your senses, to get self 
self-control, to return to reason as, as a drunkard sleeps off his wine. The implication then is that those who do not live their lives in light of the truth of the resurrection, people who do not live their lives that reflects that they believe Christianity is true, are in a profoundly foolish state of being. As Nebuchadnezzar was, while he was eating grass amongst the beasts of the field until his reason returned to him. And what happens when reason returns to us according to the Scriptures? We begin praising and honoring the Most High. We, we need to begin to get a grip, to get, get a handle on these eternal things. Not that we perfectly understand every detail, but simply that we quit living in a drunken stupor. You need to stop living as, if, as though all there was was this world below, taking up that old saying of eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, because tomorrow you just may. Paul says, do not go on sinning. This is a, this is a call to repentance, a word that we do not use enough in the church. And so what is it? Well, the Puritan Thomas Watson writes, repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Repentance is a spiritual medicine made up of six ingredients, sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame for sin, hatred from sin, turning from sin. To sum that up in my own words, what repentance looks like is we acknowledge and realize that we are in fact sinners, generally speaking, and we identify these specific sins that are actually in our lives. Once we see them, our hearts must be broken. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Then when we identify our specific sins after our hearts are broken, we must confess first to God himself, then to anyone whom we have offended. Then we must have an attitude of hatred towards our sin because of the fact it transgresses our holy God. And finally, we must actually turn from our sin because the gospel and, and the hope that is in Jesus Christ is this, that those things here on earth which you are enslaved to, which depress you, which ruin you, which are destroying your lives, Jesus Christ will set you free from those things such that you're no longer enslaved, but you have freedom in Christ for whoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. It's a glorious thing. And that's a wonderful thing. And so... That, that is the, the correction. That, that is the methodology by which we combat the, the, the depression and the anxiety and the meaningless that we have in our lives. Why does it seem so meaningless to so many people? The, the, this, the eternal march of time and like there's no hope, it's because they don't believe in a resurrected Savior. They don't have Jesus Christ. We as Christians, we have Him. We have that hope. We have the peace that comes with Him. And we must do everything we can to bring this message to those around us. Paul says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. You see, you can tell what a man believes by how he lives his life. And if a man truly believes that Christ rose from the dead, that he one day will rise again either unto eternal life or eternal punishment, that is going to show itself 
and how he lives. And so let us all then strive to live such lives that are pleasing, that are acceptable in God's sight, to demonstrate that faith in his gospel truly abides within our hearts. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season, by the way. So that's how this is actually a Christmas message, because we're talking about the Christ the one who has come to redeem his people, to, to break the chains of those who are oppressed and who are in bondage. This freedom is in Jesus Christ. And I hope that thinking about how Christ has brought meaning to your life and how he has cured your, your, your bondage and he has cured everything that ought to make you sad, although we fail to recognize this blessing, I, I just pray that through this word tonight and through this message, that God will have blessed you. And with that being said, my brother Bill will come and close us in prayer.